Monday of this week was International Women's Day. And the theme for this year was Choose to Challenge. And underneath that on the website, they say, how will you help forge a gender equal world? And they suggest we might think about celebrating women's achievements, raise awareness against bias, and take action for equality. And that is what we are going to do this morning as part of our service as we look at Phoebe, Priscilla and Junior. And then, of course, this week, this happened. The sad and shocking story of Sarah Everard unfolded. So firstly, my sympathies and prayers are with her family and friends And the story has highlighted the danger that women feel while walking the streets at night. Now, the reality is an abduction like this is incredibly rare, but women are still afraid. In fact, 97% of women said at some stage they had felt afraid walking home. Now, I have a wife and two daughters, and I want them to feel safe. It should not be like this. Women, you have every right to feel safe doing something as ordinary as walking home. So men, we need to take note and listen to the experiences of women and do all we can to make them feel safe. Let me say clearly this morning, violence against women in any setting, inside the home, in work or outside, is wrong. Parents, Uh, Perhaps, dads in particular, educate your sons. We have a responsibility for the care and protection of all women. So I was thinking, how can I respond? What should I do? And I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm a theological educator with a platform. So today I'm going to do what I can to teach and reinforce the divinely given dignity, worth and equal value of women. I'm going to try to do so by challenging some misconceptions, by introducing you to three women, all three of them leaders in the early church. They are Phoebe, Priscilla and Junior. And you will find them listed in Romans 16. That's the end of the book of Romans where Paul extends a greeting to all of the churches in Rome. And in doing this, he names a number of people. In that section, he names 20 men and nine women. They have Latin, Greek, and Hebrew names. So it's likely he is introducing, he is sending his greetings to Romans, to Greeks, and to Jews. He includes slaves and free people, and he includes the wealthy and the poor. One of the characteristics of the early church was quite radically and counterculturally, it included men and women, Greek, Roman and Jewish Christians, slaves and free, rich and poor together. And of the nine women that are mentioned, I want to draw your attention to three of them. And the first is to mention Phoebe. The passage says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Cenchreae, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. 
That word commend at the beginning is interesting. It's the word uh, sunistimai in Greek, but it is more than a simple recommendation. Uh, Most scholars now agree that Paul is commending Phoebe to the church in Rome because she is the one who is delivering his letter. This letter that he's written that we now have as the epistle to the Romans, Phoebe was the one delivering it to Rome. But more than that, um, by delivering the letter, she would also have been the person expected to read it. In a largely illiterate culture, you would make sure the person delivering your letter was able to read it to its recipients. So it's most likely that in commending Phoebe to the church in Rome, she is delivering this letter and the first person to read it out loud to the church there. So by commending Phoebe, she's being designated a trustworthy representative of the author. It's also likely that she would have been expected to answer any questions about the letter raised by its hearers. So there is really good reason to conclude that Phoebe was not only the first reader of the letter to the Romans, but also its first commentator. So what else do we know from this short passage? Well, she was also a deacon of the church in Kenkriai. Now, you might have noticed in the version that Emma read for us that the word deacon was replaced with the word servant. Now, I wonder why that might be. Um, We were both reading from New International Versions of the Bible, the NIV. It's just Emma's was published in 1998, and the one I have on the screen next to me was published in 2011. So why the change between the two versions? Why does one say servant and the other say deacon? Well, deacon translated, and in the literature of the day, deacon means servant. So it's a legitimate translation to translate deacon as servant. But I and many other scholars would argue that deacon means slightly more than that when used in the Bible. But actually, in the biblical text, it is clear that deacon was a specific role within the church, a role of leadership. Now, yes, a role of servant leadership, but nevertheless, a role of servant. So deacon means slightly more than just servant in the secular sense, that it was a responsible, a role of leadership within the local church. Now, there is discussion and debate exactly about what that role might have looked like, and there is no universal agreement. I've always understood it to be a practical role of servant leadership. So, for example, there are other um, times it's used in the New Testament where it talks about caring for the widow and the orphan and making sure their needs are met. It seems to me that the role of deacon was one of making sure the church community was cared for. But whatever the exact details of the role, Phoebe was more than just a servant. She was a deacon. And that's a leadership role within the church in Kenkriai. So I would argue that the 2011 version of the NIV is a better translation and gets it right when it leaves the word as deacon. Intriguingly, next, Paul says, give her any help she may need. Now, this has fascinated scholars for a while. What might it mean 
to give her any help she may need. And there are various theories that, that rumble around. And there is, no, again, no complete consensus, but there's one idea that I find utterly intriguing. And that is, we know, if you remember, we looked at Paul earlier at the end of last year and at the end of beginning of this year. And Paul's plan is when he's finished in Jerusalem, he's heading to Rome. And then his plan is to head west to Spain. Now, there's an argument made that perhaps Phoebe's role in Rome was to prepare for that Spanish mission trip. By asking them to give her any help she may need, she was there to, to gather the resources to equip Paul and to get a team ready for his trip to Spain as a missionary. It's an intriguing idea. And finally, we have the word benefactor, that Phoebe is described as a benefactor of many people. Now, once again, the translation Emma used, the 98 version, described, it, described her as a helper of many people. Yet the 2011 puts back benefactor. That is because for a long time, it was thought that women in Roman society could not be benefactors or patrons to people. That was exclusively a role for men. But in recent years, in the last several decades, writings and carvings have come to light from ancient Rome naming women as benefactors or patrons within society. So it's clear that it's quite possible that this lady Phoebe was wealthy and was a patron. It meant she commissioned work from individuals, part of the way Roman society worked. She would commission artworks or sculptures or here she supported Paul's ministry and writing and ministering and his missionary journeys. So Phoebe, not only was she a deacon, but she was wealthy and a patron to many, supporting and commissioning work. And in return, she could expect their loyalty and herself a supporter of Paul. So from these two verses, we can reasonably assume that here is Phoebe, wealthy, supporting Paul financially, a deacon in her church, trusted to deliver, read and interpret his letter to the church in Rome and then to stay on and make preparations for his missionary journey to Spain. If you'd like to read more about the story of Phoebe, can I recommend this book by Paula Gooder? Um, it's a novel. Well, actually, it's a piece of narrative theology. She has imagined Phoebe's story, but it is based on incredibly good scholarship. And I found it utterly fascinating and an intriguingly accessible way into theology. Uh, the last third of the book is endnotes and explains the context and why she's used certain words and why she's painted a certain picture. But as a way of understanding the early culture in a narrative form, I thoroughly recommend it. It's a very easy read. Um, the dialogue is a bit pious and clunky for me in places, but nevertheless, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So the second of our three women today, Priscilla. Priscilla and Aquila. If you've read the Bible, if you've, if you've been around church for a while, you'll perhaps have heard their names. They're mentioned six times 
in the New Testament as co-workers with Paul. What's interesting is five of the six times Priscilla's name is mentioned first. Now, that would be perhaps still unusual in our culture today. Normally, when referring to a couple, just because of cultural norms, it's the man's name that is mentioned first, followed by the ladies. It's still relatively unusual today. I know that's not 100% true, but in the time that this was written, it was incredibly rare. The man was almost always mentioned first when referring to a couple. So why in this instance is Priscilla mentioned before Aquila? Again, it's a debate that scholars have talked about for a while. And they come up with two broad suggestions as to why. One is that Priscilla is potentially of more noble birth than Aquila, which might have meant she was mentioned first. Or secondly, that actually she was just more prominent in the church. So Priscilla was, was yeah, a more prominent figure in the church that met in their house. Of course, elsewhere in the Bible, where we name people and the church that met in their house, we assume that they were the leaders of that church. So I think it's safe here to assume that Priscilla and Aquila led the church that met in their house. There's, there's a story of them leading a church for many years in Corinth and then again leading a second church in Rome. Priscilla and Aquila led the church together. And then finally, there is Junior. Greet Andronicus and Junior, my fellow Jews who've been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles. Junior has an interesting history. Is it Junior or Junius? Let me explain where I'm going and what I mean with this. In the 13th century, Giles of Rome was copying the New Testament. And he decided that because a woman could not be an apostle, that this must be a mistake in the text. That it could not be Junior, that it had to be a male name, Junius. So in copying the text, he changed, he corrected in his mind, the text from Junior to Junius. Changed it from a female name to a male name. And then from the 13th century onward, as the Greek New Testament is copied, it varies. And occasionally Junius is copied and occasionally Junior is used. But both begin to appear in the text. Then at the Reformation, Martin Luther, in one of his famous sermons, announced Andronicus and Junius were famous amongst the apostles. That's it. Signed and sealed. Luther has decided Junius was a man. Now, before I go on, I want to point something out to you. That is, the name Junius does not exist. Prior to the 13th century, the name Junius is not anywhere. It is not written down anywhere at all. It is not a, a name that Junior exists as a female name. Junius does not. There is no record of anybody being called Junius. But nevertheless, as happens in modern scholarship the Greek copies of the New Testament were looked at and they were rated and in 
1927, Erwin Nestor's Greek New Testament was given the authoritative status as the version of the Greek New Testament. And it includes Junius. And Junior is put down to a footnote. Then finally, in 1979, Kurt Allen's New Testament, the footnote is disappeared. And Junior has been killed off forever, replaced by the male Junius. Now, I'm glad to say scholarship has reversed its position in recent years. And actually, the 89 Jubilee edition of the Greek New Testament put Junior back in the text in her rightful place. But let me be clear. Junior was a woman and that there is no evidence that any man ever had the name Junius. So if you open your Bible at home to Romans 16, verse 7, and it says, Junius, buy yourself a new Bible. Go online, get a better translation. Unfortunately, we're still not quite finished yet. Still working from the assumption that, okay, this must be Junior, the female name, it's still not possible in some translators' minds that she could have been an apostle. So the English Standard Version, for example, translates verse 7 as this. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles. I'd like to say this is unconscious bias, but I'm not. I'm sure it's more of a conscious bias. The Greek does not say that. The Greek does not say they were well known among the apostles. It says that they were outstanding among the apostles. That is very different to being well known. So let me make clear, Junia was a woman. There is no evidence that any man had the name Junius. And among the apostles means that Junia herself was an apostle. In fact, John Christostom, writing in 344 AD, said this, To be an apostle is something great, but to be outstanding among the apostles, just think what a wonderful song of praise that is. They were outstanding on the basis of their works and virtuous actions. Indeed, how great the wisdom of this woman must have been. The challenge of International Women's Day this year was how are you going to challenge bias? Well, I hope we've gone some way to do that this morning. Because I would like to introduce you to three women in the early church. Phoebe, a deacon. Priscilla, a church leader. And Junior, the apostle. Women, you are valued and precious to God. And as long as I have this role at Bessels Green Baptist Church, you are equal in dignity, status and in leadership. And any role we have within this church is equally open to men and to women. 
And as I said before, parents, but dads perhaps particularly, teach your sons to love, honour and respect women as sisters and mothers in Christ. And let's do all that we can do to make this world equal and safe for both men and women. Let's pray together, shall we? Father God, on this day when we remember our mothers who brought us into this world, we thank you for the women in our lives. And Lord, it should not be the case that any woman should should feel fearful in her home or walking home in the evening after work or from from a social appointment. No woman should feel frightened in our streets. So Lord, help us as a society to, to do all that we can to make this world safer for all women. And Lord, within the church, where there has been prejudice over years, where we have, have, have not been faithful and let down women and their role within our lives, Lord, we, we ask your forgiveness. And Lord, we say that as a church going forward, we want to be absolutely inclusive and open to the role that women can play in our lives and in our worship. And Lord, we thank you for the many who already do, who serve as deacons at Bessels Green Baptist Church, who serve as elders, who serve in leadership, who lead us in worship. Lord, thank you for them. And we, we bless you for them. And Lord, open our eyes that we might see where we have bias, where we have prejudice, where we have attitudes that need to be challenged and changed. And make us willing to be changed. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of today. And Lord, we pray that you are with us with all that it holds as we go forwards. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jamie. A big, loud amen from the back. Fabulous.